In business, you rarely hear the expression for life. You make a purchase for a product, for a service, and, and there's, a, there's a time frame there. Well, that's not the case with Awaken 180 weight loss. Allow me to explain. You know, a year ago, I started with Awaken 180 weight loss and had incredible success losing weight. But you can lose all the weight in the world and not keep it off. And what good is it? That's why I have support for life from Awaken 180. Yeah. I mean, I go back for check-ins and make sure everything's going smoothly. But if I ever had a problem, the counselors are there to get me back on track. Why don't you do what I did and call for a consultation? 844-346-1800. 844-346-1800. Or go to Awaken180WeightLoss.com. Hello, and welcome to Between the Lines. On this show, you will hear about and from lesser-known Canadian authors and writers who, for whatever reason, have remained under the radar of traditional publishers and publishing houses. If it has something to do with writing or the writing process, you are going to hear a discussion about it here. I'm your host, Randy Lacey, and I encourage you to grab your bevy of choice, get comfy, and get ready to go between the lines. People come into writing in several different ways. For some, it was the teacher at school handing out a writing assignment. For others, it may have been by reading and wondering if they might be able to write. Every writer has started their writing journey on a different path. Each writer's journey will be different, yet similar. But one thing all writers have in common is a different destination. In high school, English, sometimes creative writing, which of course was my favorite class. And uh, I always uh, took some time to write, even though life got busy with teaching and family obligations. I met a group of writers once a month to write in a coffee shop. And once a month, I went to a writer's group that offered, called the Writer's Circle of Durham Region, that offered uh, workshops and teaching on writing and editing so I, I spent a number of years, you know, learning some of the process of writing. My my husband uh, really dislikes winter, and he wanted to retire somewhere hot. And Panama certainly qualifies as a hot country. Yes. And uh, we already had two adult children living here. So we had visited here many times. And uh, it was a natural choice for us to select Panama when we retired. And then I had the opportunity to do what I loved most about teaching. And that was about uh, growing as a writer myself, helping other writers grow. And I didn't have to spend my Sundays marking essays anymore. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, so now I have this uh, really great life here. I I beach walk in the morning, go for a swim, ride in my Bahio, offer writing workshops there, and sometimes in natural spaces. So we'll hike to a a waterfall or go to the mountains and write together. And I'm getting to do all the things I really enjoy. That sounds dreamily wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) And I just want to comment about what your husband and Winter there are a few people I know who really cherish winter. So I'm with him on that. (laughs) 
he <laughs> talked about retiring somewhere hot since he's 25. So, you know, we had to get here. <laughs> well, it took a while then, but you got there. Yes, exactly. <laughs> All right. We'll move right into the two-question period then. What is your philosophy about writer's block? Well, when I get writer's block, I try to take a little time and figure out why I'm experiencing it. Because the way I handle writer's block varies a little bit depending on on what's happening. So, you know, sometimes I've been involved in too many what I call left brain activities, like the editing and the promo and, you know, the business side of things. I'm struggling to get back into my more creative right side of my brain. Uh, other times uh, I have writer's block because my story maybe went off on a little tangent that's not working. That never and, happens, uh, does it? <laughs> yes, for me it does. And sometimes I just play tired. Mm. So, you know... If it's, you know, then I'm tired, I recharge my batteries. I go for a walk on the beach. I go climb a mountain and I sit and I look at the panoramic views and just feel the breeze on my face and clear my head. Uh, if it's a tangent, then I back up a little bit and, you know, I, I go back to the place where the writing was working really well. I give myself a prompt and I write forward from there. And uh, if it's that I've had too many left brain activities, I, you know, I go collect some seashells and arrange them into a picture or, or I draw something or I appreciate someone else's art. Even, you know, the, their colorful art, you know, will help me get back to that right brain and often will inspire the story going forward. So, yeah, I try to do a little analysis and then take a strategy based on what I think is the issue. That makes perfect sense. Now, something that you said resonates with uh, a lot of the other people that I've interviewed, uh, and there hasn't been a whole lot. We're just starting. But one of the things that I continue to hear is when writer's block occurs, do something else that's creative. As long as you're maintaining a creative focus, that will help you or help whoever, uh, according to the people that I've spoken with, that helps them to get back into what they were doing in the first place. Yes, that makes a lot of sense to me. It might mean reading a book, you know, watching a movie or some kind of, you know, uh, art that you do. Uh, anything <coughs> that fuels your creative side, you know, for different people, their well is of inspiration is filled from different things. And, oh, absolutely. You know, Sewing, knitting, painting, gardening, whatever is creative to help you unfocus or unblock what's what's blocking you, but keeping that creative flow going. Um, and it makes sense to me as well. So I just, I yeah, thought it there, was interesting. Yeah, there's one further thing I try to. Sometimes it's because, you know, I have some kind of issue going on in my life and it's kind of in my brain a little bit. So Sometimes I'll just write about that for 10 or 15 minutes and get it out on the page. And then, then I know what I think about it. I don't really know what I think about it till I write it on paper and read it. And then once I've processed it, story is in behind whatever was bothering me. And it gives me a chance to clear that away and then get back to the story. So in a sense, you've let it go. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> instead of having it go round and round you know <laughs> well, well exactly because they do, t do tend to 
to uh, occupy a space that needs to be filled with something else. And until you can let it go, nothing will be able to fill that space. Do you have any rituals or superstitious things uh, you do before starting a writing project or after completing one? Uh, yes, definitely. Uh, prior to, at least when I'm writing in terms of my trilogy and longer work, I, I take some time and I do some exploring around the subject, what I think might show up in the story or a topic that a character has been nattering at me about in my head. I'll, I'll just go explore it a little bit. It might be a scientific, uh, scientific fact that because I write science fiction that I'm going to push into something that isn't science into the fiction, but maybe loosely, you know, starts with the science itself. Sometimes it, I just go and clear my head on the beach. Like I'll, I'll walk 20,000 steps along the beach and, and I just pick up things there and I imagine, imagine them. Some of them find their ways into my stories and I, I draw a little bit. So, you know, when you're writing about science fiction, mine occurs in space. So time is very different. Mm-hmm. And so I have, you know, created different forms of time and different clocks and things like that in by drawing them first. When I was writing book two, The Bridges Between Us, one of the things that the teens have to do is find these four keys to open this door to help some people that are trapped behind there. And I wasn't sure how to go about finding the keys or making the keys. So I I drew the islands where they were going to find the keys. And based on the landscapes that were there, I came up with what those keys would be. And I hope they're, you know, kind of fresh ideas, you know, something new that, that might be interesting for teens to read. So, so draw, not that I'm a good drawer. <laughs> I do, do draw. Or sometimes I have a little bit of an inspiration board, like with the Greek myths that I'm playing off of. I'll collect pictures of those and, you know, I'll put a spin on those pictures and create something new out of them so that uh, the story is inspired by the myths as well. Okay. When I'm finished, (laughs) I don't actually kind of have a ritual when I finish writing, but when I hit the publish button and the start of my promotion work is done, I try to take, uh, you know, three days or a week and just go to the mountains or or go somewhere and take a break and be with my friends because I've been kind of, you know, pulling myself away from them and being isolated to complete the work. Uh, This time I wasn't able to do that because of timing. And so, you know, I booked a a hike up to a mountain peak called Suero Picacho here, which is a mountain peak we can see from our little beach town. It's a kind of a challenging hike, but you have a 365 degree panoramic view. It was a sunny day, the wind was blowing, and I just sat there and listened and, you know, just, you know, became human again. (laughs) You know, based on the descriptions you just gave, I might have to air this podcast when it's summer in Canada, so a lot of people don't get jealous. They're welcome to come and hike with me. I love that too. <laughs> well, well, we'll get into that too because you do have writing retreats, right? Yes, yes. And, and so we can uh, we can discuss that in a little bit too. So you, nothing like uh, the Stephen King character from his novel. You know what was that called? I can't even remember the name of the book. 
where the writer, you know, he'd go to a cabin for the winter and write, and then he'd finish and he'd have a glass of champagne and a cigarette. It's the only time he ever smoked. <laughs> yes, I, I, I am. I'm more about getting out and, uh, you know, because as lovely as my Bahia and backyard are, I've been looking at that space quite a bit, you know, when, I, when I'm when i focused and, uh, you know, I, I'm in the same space for a while. So for me, it's about getting out and, getting and out. seeing a different space. Wonderful. Is there a certain time of day where you find yourself more productive and why do you suppose that is? Yes, well... I am definitely a morning writer. I wake up early, uh, hopefully not too early, although that certainly occurs. You know, I've had discussions with my brain about I don't mind writing at 3 p.m. instead of 3 a.m. But uh, I guess because it's quiet and there are no distractions and my brain is rested, you know, sometimes I'll wake up and, and begin writing that early. Uh, it's not uncommon to, to wake up at four or five for me and write for an hour or two. Then I go either street walk or beach walk for a while and I come back and I put the coffee pot on and my morning is my best writing time. As the day goes on, probably because I get up so early, I become less productive. And even if I produce something, it's less, um, intelligent <laughs> you know I, I i am an early bird to go to go to bed so i you know it, night comes early here and you know i'm happy to crawl in because I, I know i'm fresh and wake up and can get started on the work then now how close to the equator are you gosh i don't know the exact distance but we are north of the equator yeah. which kind of confuses people because technically a Canadian winter is at the same time as a Panamanian winter. Okay. But the the weather here does not reflect that. The weather here in a Canadian winter would be what we call dry season, or they call it summer here. But officially, we're north of the equator, and, and it, it is winter. So, you know, there's always discussion and people correcting one another. It's, it's definitely uh, less humid in what we call our, our summer and dry season. Oh, really? And and that, but it can be hot. It can be breezier. Rainy season. I know it makes it sound like it rains all day, every day, but we're in what's known as the dry arc. So, you know, sometimes it doesn't rain at all. Sometimes it rains for 20 minutes late in the afternoon. And then occasionally for a few days, it might, might rain for most of the day. So even rainy seasons, very beautiful and it's refreshing. It's a nice break. Next question. What is the one aspect of your writing? you would most like to improve and explain why. Yes, I have, uh, I've been writing and trying to apply what I've learned, but I'm constantly taking new workshops and, and learning something new. And there are, are things I'd like to do in the second trilogy that I don't think I accomplished in the first one. And that is my, uh, my enemies are, and my foes are very clearly evil. And uh, I've been learning a lot about how, uh, you know, making your your enemies less a flat character, more balanced and rounded and, and more mirroring, you know, what we are like. So you're almost like on the other side of the line. Mm-hmm. Uh, that does happen a little bit in book three. I was definitely working towards that, but it actually, you know, happens 
in the life of one of my protagonists where he's really struggling with which side to be on based on the circumstances and the fact that he'd really like to live. <laughs> so, but the, but the enemies themselves are, are, you know, these, uh, fictional beings that I've created and, you know, they're, they're clearly oppressive and, and, uh, the characters are, are trying to assist the beings, uh, that live on the, those planets to be free of them. And, and I think I'd like to explore making those a little bit more balanced. And, and my secondary characters, I think, could use a little bit of a tweak as well. I, I'm really, really pleased with how the protagonists are going, but a few more real, um, interesting secondary characters. And I'm working on that in book four and having a lot of fun with that. Book four of the first trilogy? <laughs> well, I guess it depends how you count. There, <laughs> there are three books in the first trilogy, the Summer Triangle trilogy. But there also is a winter triangle trilogy in okay. the, uh, that's an asterism in the sky that I play off of. And so book one of the second trilogy or book four of the series, I guess, there you uh, <laughs> is, is playing around with that. And, and, and it's been a lot of fun. Like the great thing about switching off the editing and proofreading and promo stuff is you get to play around and have fun again. So I'm, I'm at a really fun stage. Well, you just reminded me of the, the Star Wars saga, uh, you know, because we were first introduced to the movies from the books and it was like, what, four, five and six. And then they did one, two and three. And I mean, they're all <laughs> over the place in, in the release. Right. But um, so, yeah, it's a continuing saga, I guess, for you. Yes, exactly. OK, see, smarter than I look. <laughs> you look pretty smart <laughs> it's the glasses i look like an educated football player uh is that it for for uh development of what you'd like to do or is there anything else or i uh, you mean in terms of the writing like improving yeah improving your writing oh or? improving my writing yes well i also have a collection of short stories some of them previously published uh some of them new some flash fictions and some personal essays and a little bit of poetry that I'm thinking of putting together in an anthology. Okay. But, but it's really, it's dark. <laughs> and so I know I've got a few humor pieces and so I really need to go back and, and, and go through those one more time to see if I want to unleash that on everybody. <laughs> Without giving it away, I've got a couple of interviews coming up that I've already done, and they couldn't. Your your stuff couldn't be any darker than these two individuals. Okay, so maybe I maybe I should go ahead with that. Thanks for the encouragement. Hey, you know what? I mean, it's, something appeals to everybody, right? Mm-hmm. Something appeals yeah. to everybody, uh, and some things don't appeal to anybody. And so, yeah, why wouldn't you want to put it out there? I mean, I don't. It, it definitely draws on my experience working in a low socioeconomic area, uh, high density area in, in Ontario. And as a teacher, you know, I had students who sometimes came to the classroom and they crawled out of the ditch that morning and they inspired me, you know, mm. with their uh, many barriers that they are overcoming, but they had some real hard life that happened. And, and though I, you know, didn't use their lives, it certainly 
inspired me to write some of the hard stuff. Mm-hmm. When we first uh, talked and, and about getting together to do this, I had uh, mentioned to you that I thought I had spoken to you before because the term expat uh, rang a bell in my mind and I thought we had talked, but there might have been somebody else. But when I think of that term expat, the first thing that goes through my mind is, okay, so now I'm doing this this podcast interview. I'm going to have CSIS, the CIA, FBI monitoring this. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> But, but I, I, I don't think I have that much influence. I think you're safe with me then. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> Season two looks probable then. <laughs> the next question is, uh, well, there's uh, three parts to it. So uh, which type of writer are you? Are you um, an A, a plotter, someone who plans out their novel beginning to end uh, or are you a pantser which is someone who flies by the seat of their pants uh, meaning you don't plan out a single thing or are you a plantster which is someone who is a little both a little bit of planning a little bit of plotting and a little bit of by the seat of your pants I love this uh, idea of these three types of writing. Me, I look at it kind of as a sliding scale. And so my <laughs> best answer to start with is it depends. So, you know, if I, I ta- was talking to you about the lines between the stars started as a, I started as a pantser and I, I did a lot of flying, but I kind of flew all over the place and, and it was a little hard to rein in, uh, and, you know, I had to really find the story and then, you know, make choices about giving up a lot of the writing because, you know, I'd gone off on all kinds of tangents. And so in between writing that book and, and finishing books two and three, I uh, read a couple of books and, and took a course on outlining how to write a novel better. I mean, it took a lot of editing for book one. And, and so I didn't want to have to work that hard. And so I read uh, Barbara Kyle's book. Uh, it's called Page Turner. And also I read another book about, you know, uh, writing your novel in 90 days. Well, they are very much on the other side. They're the other extreme from where I was. Uh, you know, I was at the pantsered side. They're on the outliner side. Okay. And while I, I didn't slide the scale, you know, to the degree that they outlined, uh, their process helped me a lot. And, uh, and having, at least having that loose outline kept me from going off in all kinds of directions that weren't working. It helped keep me focused. You know, now each book, it just kind of slides a little bit. You know, I, I tend to pantser some scenes to find the story, and then I create the outline, and then I go back, and, and I use that outline as a prompt to pantser the scenes. And so I kind of just slide the scale back and forth based on where I'm at in that particular story. And so I'm, I'm not really a pantser anymore. I'm not a full outliner. So I guess that makes me on a slidey planter scale. <laughs> when you first said that, I was going to yell out, that's a cop-out. But now that I've heard your definition, I'll let it slide. Perfect. Thank you. <laughs> is, is there anything about your writing journey so far that you wish you had done differently? 
if I say yes and no, you're probably going to say, I'm not sure if I'll let that slide. So I'll give my definition. You know, I don't, I don't have regrets about, you know, the first trilogy. I, I'm very pleased with how it turned out, but I learned a lot in writing it and I've, I've learned more. So there are things that I definitely know now mm-hmm. that I didn't know then that if I was talking to my younger self, it would have been helpful to know. So I, I don't have regrets, but I, I, I'm still learning. And so, yeah, there are definitely some things that I would do, you know, particularly in thinking in terms of the market. I very much wrote what I felt was on my heart to write. So I very much wrote the story I felt that I was to write. I, I, you know, I'm not sort of a right to market person. Okay. Um, but there are some things I learned in in publishing where I could have set it up a little different in terms of releasing the book so that it made it more helpful, let's say, to the reader. So, for example, you know, I could have released them a little bit sooner after one another so that the readers didn't feel like they'd have to wait so long. And and for a new writer, you know, fair enough for a reader to be tentative about starting book one when, you know, they don't even know you yet, whether you're going to finish book three. Mm-hmm. And so there are also some things in writing that I've learned just from practice. So I facilitate what's known as the Amherst Writers and Artists method of writing. And so, you know, we write together in a group. And we identify for one another what is working in a piece. And I certainly was not doing that at the start. And so, you know, I'd write something and I just would be like, I really have no idea if this is any good. I don't know if it's going anywhere. I was writing too much in isolation. So definitely writing in community, not all the time, but definitely some of the time and definitely at the at the fresh, raw writing draft stage for me, I have found uh, to have those regular appointments with people who are getting to know your story and and who tell you what you're doing well, and then you identify in their writing what they're doing well, and you're learning from them because you're going like, oh my gosh, you know what? I could include rich details in my story. I, I need to include the five senses so I, the reader feels like a part of the scene or you know, whatever the strengths are, the people in the group, when those are identified, we all learn from one another to build them in our writing. So uh, that has definitely kept my writing moving forward and uh, stopped me from stalling out and, and floundering, not knowing, you know, am I wasting my time? Because it's really hard to assess your own writing. Absolutely. Fair enough. So typically during an interview like this, I I set out seven questions that I have to go through, but I never announced the eighth question. And you've kind of touched on that eighth question because I did my homework and I found out that you, you had mentioned the Amherst writing method and, you know, being visually impaired, I really don't like to read that. So I'd like to hear it more in your own words. So if you don't mind for those listening and the benefit of myself, can you briefly describe or outline how that really works and how you yes. came to know about it? Yes, I'd love to. Uh, well, I, I came to know about it again through the writers community of Durham region. When I lived in Ontario, there was a wonderful facilitator of the method who was part of that group. Her name is Sue Reynolds. And, uh, 
she also taught people to learn how to facilitate the method. So I learned it from her. And there are, you know, some essential affirmations and practices. I won't go over them all, but I'll I'll give you an idea of of what they're like. You know, the um, affirmations are things like we believe everyone has their own unique voice and that we are here to support the development of that voice. You know, we believe everyone's a writer and gets to start their writing at whatever stage or level they're at and that we all learn from one another. We, we, we treat everything as fiction, you know, so when we write uh, in our workshops and then we read what we've written, you know, there's no assumption that we're writing about ourselves. So it gives us safety and a freedom to write about anything. I mean, even if you know someone's writing a memoir and is writing about themselves, we always treat it that way. And we we never talk about the writing outside the workshops. So it's a very safe space. You become, you get to know the people in the workshop and, and you become very safe. And, and we hold space. So you're given a prompt. It's a timed prompt. You all write to it. You don't have to write to the prompt itself. You can just continue writing on your particular work if you choose to. And then we share the writing. And it is. It's raw. But, you know, everyone writes something different. We're all amazed at everyone else's writing. And I mentioned we identify what's working in the piece. I mean, later, there's lots of opportunity for critiquing and getting in critique groups and after you've taken some time to craft the work, you know, so that people can let you know, you know, where it's unclear or, or uh, some other aspect that could be improved. But in the workshop itself, you know, you take the time to write and just that, even that creative writing altogether is just so empowering. The appreciation for one another's writing, regardless of your economic status, your education, you know, we're all treated with this appreciation. And the facilitator themselves writes alongside with the group. They're just like everyone else in the group. So, you know, we're all learning and growing from one another. So that's a peek into it. There's a little bit more to it, but that'll give you a glimpse into what uh, a writing workshop would look like. So I guess the next question I have to ask then, in this day and age with what's going on in the world, Gathering together in local groups is probably not uh, something that can be done or should be done, according to who you listen to. So global meetings electronically, like Zoom or whatever, or how do they, how do meetings happen? Well, the, if you, if people would like to go to the website, there's a list of the Amherst facilitators there and they are now all over the world. They, okay. the organization was, uh, founded by Pat Schneider and she said, you know, if I'd known it was going to be so effective around the world, I wouldn't have called it Amherst after where I lived. But, um, you know, you, there are many who are offering the Zoom online workshops. Now, here in Panama, we are fortunate. We're at the opened up stage. And so, you know, that we meet, meet, it's the same group of people, six, well, not always the exact same, but a small group of people, usually six of us. We meet outside where, you know, we're in, we've been, uh, regrouping for the last few months and the in-person. 
it's a different experience, you know, uh, actually getting to meet together, but both of them are very effective methods. My, my two mornings where I'm writing with others and sometimes other facilitators, we're writing internationally across countries and online. Fantastic. We'll, we'll give you an opportunity in a little bit to uh, list some websites and whatnot. So we're going to move into part two which I call Shake Your Moneymaker because this is where it's about where to find your books and you and, and all this wonderful information. So moving right along then, can you let the listeners know about your published books or book and uh, where they can find them? Yes, I started just by publishing on Amazon. Okay. So you can find The Lines Between the Stars, The Bridges Between Us, and most recently, just uh, two weeks ago, uh, published The Clashing of Our Worlds. Mm -hmm. They are on Kindle Unlimited. Currently, right now, book one is on a 99-cent sale, so it's a great chance to start. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, here in Panama, obviously, I have copies that where I can sign them and sell them. But uh, definitely for those who are in Canada, where many of your listeners are, the Amazon would be best for them. Well, actually, um, I've discovered that right now this podcast is being heard in 13 different countries. And I noticed that there were two listeners from Panama. Well, congratulations. That's fantastic. I've listened to one, so I'm likely one of those. That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, that's the beauty of the online, right? It gives us the ability to reach those. And the fact that you've got that passion comes through very clearly, you know, in your uh, hosting. And so people pick up on that. And, Mm. you know, that makes for good company and good following along. So that's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. This next question, I don't know, this this might get you. Is there one of your books which you are more particularly fond of or proud of and why? I, at this point, would say book three. Uh, surprisingly, since I published it only two weeks ago, you think I not want to think about it right now. <laughs> but um, I really like it because uh, there is so much struggle going on in the uh, lives of the protagonists. So, and the struggle is very closely connected to their backstory. So they've got, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot to deal with internally in addition to what's going on externally. So uh, in book three, uh, they are on a planet where the tribe is uh, a tribe of satyrs. So um, goat people. So, and, um, their values really clash with my protagonists. They are uh, pacifists and uh, they are in trouble from another tribe and they refuse to take up arms. And so the protagonists want to defend them. And, you know, they're struggling with how far do they go to do that, still keeping their culture without watching them be destroyed. And, because it affects the children so much in this tribe and the main character has had a little sister who passed away and he wasn't able to do anything about it. He wants to do something about this. So for me, that 
working that out was, you know, it took some wrestling on my part and, and I was a little nervous when I got to the end. I wasn't sure how to handle these three foes coming together against them. And you know what you have to do now? You have to go read the series to find out how that Absolutely. <laughs> so you said the word sadder and the first thing that came to mind was, oh no, I'm about to let people know how old I am. Um, sadder and the first thing that came to my mind was when I was a kid watching Hercules with Newt yes yes Uh, (laughs) definitely I did that as a child too I loved that cartoon it was fabulous (laughs) and uh, now a few people have said to me they didn't realize there were female ones and um, certainly there are in this tribe and I have discovered other stories where they are but typically they've been males in stories and this this has uh, you know different genders I used to uh, be a dungeon master in Dungeons and Dragons and some of my characters were female uh, uh, tri- uh, what do they call treants and and satyrs and and even in I think world of Warcraft you, there's some uh, female characters within that um, Race, I guess. Yeah, race. Are you currently working on, and we've established this, are you currently working on something new and how close to being done is it or are they? Uh, I hinted in uh, the Summer Triangle Trilogy that there could be a Winter Triangle Trilogy. And I uh, fought uh, writing a second one. I thought I was going to move on to something else, but the characters were nagging at my head. I even had to stop a few times in book three and write some things from the second trilogy to get them out of the way so I could focus on book three. So uh, I do think it's a story that I need to tell. These triangles are based on three bright stars in the sky that form an asterism and each of the stories happens around a habitable planet near each of those bright stars and those bright stars are in different constellations and so I've been researching the myths that go with the constellations the myths uh, play strongly into the story Sometimes to the assistance of the protagonist and sometimes not. And so, you know, they have to decipher which that's going to be. And so I'm having fun reading those stories, drawing, uh, writing the first few scenes. And also, you know, it's not the exact same. And so, you know, what... uh, what does this story become from that? And I'm just having all kinds of fun with it. So I've written a little bit of book one, a little bit of book two, and a little bit of book three. So I think that's starting. We'll go with starting. Uh, Next question would be, how and where can listeners find you on the web? Do you have a personal website? I do. And that's www, of course, dot tranquilo retreat so uh tranquilo retreat is our home here but we also have a casita that we rent out to writers who are looking for creative and beautiful quiet spaces to write and uh on there i have my blog uh my books and my workshops and some of the places that we've been but you can also find me on YouTube and Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and LinkedIn, like all we writers need to put ourselves out there in social media as, as Lindy Allison 
or in the case of Instagram and Facebook, Lindy Allison author. Okay. And from your personal website, people can be directed to the Amherst writer's method. They, uh, yes, I do have a, if people are really interested in that, thank you for asking. I started a resource page there and I recently shared at a writer's conference, uh, uh, a little glimpse of a workshop and the PowerPoint is there. So it has all the affirmations and all of the practices. It has a poem that we used as a prompt. And, uh, you know, that's something that people could, could definitely, uh, you know, go to and just work right from that and do on their own. Wonderful. Wendy, this has been absolutely fantastic getting to know you and your work a little bit better. Thank you for uh, um, uh, giving me the time of day. And I mean, it's early here still, but um, your day is like you're two, two hours ahead of me, I think. Uh, but thank you so much for agreeing one, agreeing to do this and sharing yourself with uh, potential listeners. It's been my pleasure. And if anyone has any questions, they can feel free to email me. I'd be glad to address them. I think you're also in my writing group on Facebook as well. Are you not? Yes, I am. So they can also reach you through that as well. Yes, they could. And that writing group is called Canadian Creative Writers on Facebook. A poem that we used as a prompt. And, uh, you know, that's something that people could could definitely uh you know, go to and just work right from that and do on their own. Wonderful. Wendy, this has been absolutely fantastic getting to know you and your work a little bit better. Thank you for uh, um, uh, giving me the time of day. And I mean, it's early here still, but um, your day is like you're two, two hours ahead of me, I think. Uh, but thank you so much for agreeing one, agreeing to do this and sharing yourself with uh, potential listeners. It's been my pleasure. And if anyone has any questions, they can feel free to email me. I'd be glad to address them. I think you're also in my writing group on Facebook as well. Are you not? Yes, I am. So they can also reach you through that as well. Yes, they could. And that writing group is called Canadian Creative Writers on Facebook. You have been listening to Between the Lines. In future episodes, I will be speaking with other Canadian authors and writers. If you like what you heard, click the subscribe button to be notified of new episodes and content. Be sure to visit me at www.therandylacy.ca. Have a day. And remember, what kind is always up to you. Tune in, be inspired, and write on. In business, you rarely hear the expression for life. You make a purchase for a product, for a service, and, and there's, a, there's a time frame there. Well, that's not the case with Awaken 180 Weight Loss. Allow me to explain. You know, a year ago, I started with Awaken 180 Weight Loss and had incredible success losing weight. But you can lose all the weight in the world and not keep it off. And what good is it? That's why I have support for life from Awaken 180. Yeah. I mean, I go back for check-ins and make sure everything's going smoothly. But if I ever had a problem, the counselors are there to get me back on track. 
Why don't you do what I did and call for a consultation? 844-346-1800. 844-346-1800. Or go to awaken180weightloss.com.